When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. Hey, everyone. This is Carl Anka here. We do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us. We we record it every Tuesday. <laughs> it drops on Wednesdays now. <laughs> you would think, what you know? I've, we've done this. What this is two eighty seven. Two eighty seven. So, two eighty seven. Yeah, for two hundred eighty five times we've recorded on Monday. So I'm still getting used to it. But yeah, remember to follow us. All the links are in the description. Um, Carl, where can you be found? You can find my writing over on the Athletic, where I cover Manchester United and the Premier League. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Anchorman six one six. I'm at Daniel to look, have hope. You can just go to havehopefootballhut.com. Check it out. You'll get your bricks. You'll get your rankings. <laughs> you'll get your throwbacks. Many different things. It's always fun to go to that website and just check out what's going on. So havehopefootballhut.com. Check that out. So you know what I wanted to start with now now that because I didn't know you were going to be here, but now that you're here, how's your fantasy football team doing, bro? Badly. <laughs> In a word, now I'd, I'd say we are we're treading water. We're we're performing just above average. Um, my hands are slightly tied because I couldn't go into the season with Haaland due to my own hubris, uh, and uh, I think I'm one of many fantasy football managers this week who is going. What do you mean Salah didn't get me any fantasy points? I, How was I, yours? I, I felt that way. But then I captained Haaland, so... <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking it up as we speak right now. In, in our league, it's like 200-some people. I am mm-hmm. 64th. But That's last good. week, I got 79 points, Ooh. which for me is super impressive. I felt good about that. The yeah. deadline is in. I'm recording this as the deadline is about to close in two hours, yep. and I still haven't made my changes. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make a double swap. Um, there are two players who isn't that going to cost you four no, points? No, because I didn't make a save. I didn't make a transfer uh-huh. last. So wait. Oh, uh, so so the transfers carry over. If you don't use them in up, that week, you can kind of hold them. They carry over up to two. Oh, okay. Good so to know. Two. Yeah. So I'm I'm way down in all my leagues now because yeah, uh, my biggest point getter was uh, Raheem Sterling. No, it was was Trent Alexander Arnold, and Raheem Sterling was second and fifteen. And neither man was my uh, captain or vice captain. So jokes on me. I'm I'm going with five three two. That's my formation for the season. So I have five defenders, which I feel is safer. So it's I have Perisic, Cancelo. Kukurea, Reese James, and Trent. And then my midfield is Salah, Zaha, 
and I think Lingard. Okay. And then, but I'm trying to figure out a way that I can get rid of Jesse. And then, and then my front two is Haaland and Jesus. I understand. I understand. <laughs> By the way, this is I'm probably nothing. Like I said, we're 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 floating everywhere today. Nottingham Nottingham Forest Me. don't have a kit sponsor. So I looked no. this up, and there's some sponsor. They had a sponsor, but then maybe they were they canceled the deal, and they're looking for one. But it's just it was interesting to watch the game or see highlights of it. Or did I watch it? I think I watched it. And they just didn't have a sponsor. It was just, it looked like, you know, the World Cup kits that are dropping. And it looked like they were a national team of some kind. It's just very odd to see. They, they played Tottenham. Tottenham very clearly have the AIA, whatever that means. Yep. But Forest were just there with, like, red. I was like, oh, that's it's odd. Kind of cool. Odd. How, how do you feel about that? Like, do you prefer what a good sponsor can do to a kit? Like, a good sponsor can make a kit look great. But I am also old. make it like Chelsea, like three looks terrible. Yeah. So yeah, I just prefer it was just a blue shirt. I'm a Manchester United fan, and there have been many a Manchester United kit that has been slightly spoiled by the block Chevrolet bow tie. Mm, that, was good. that insisted yeah, on being gold as well. Um, so I am very much of the mind. You know, there are a number of football fans that go, oh, I'd pay a bit extra to get a, a football kit without the sponsor. And I'm hovering to that viewpoint now. I don't think that will ever happen, but a, a nice. Manchester United kit with, with no sponsor. Yeah, so the idea is obviously you, you, you pay a bit more money and then <laughs> you get a kit with no sponsor. But I don't I don't think that's how sponsorships work, really. Mm. Um, so a man can dream, but here we are. Out, outside of what they actually are and do, the AIG looks sick. <laughs> but I know what AIG is, so I'm just like, uh-huh. ah, like I don't know if I'd support that just in principle, but it looked nice. Let's start with Liverpool and I know, because last week have have Hope and I talked about what's going on with Liverpool. Like, what is wrong with these dudes? How come they're not firing like we know that they can or should or we expected, whatever the case was. They played Bournemouth, who sacked their manager earlier today, and they won 9-0. So what do we do with these results? That you struggle against Fulham, Manchester United, Crystal Palace was in, in between. And we were thinking, something's up with Liverpool. They're not exactly the same Liverpool. Midfield Mm -hmm. issues, no Mane, Nunes red card, blah, blah, blah. But 9-0 is... is, is Comprehensive response, is it not? Is is it a statement or is it more a reflection of what Bournemouth are? I think it's both, right? So Jurgen Klopp is very good at rousing the troops when they're down. And Liverpool, when they go through a bad run of form, when they self-correct, they they tend to self-correct in a brutal fashion. So, do you remember you know, during the bad Liverpool season where you know, Nat Phillips and other players were in the? There was the game against Crystal Palace, and that felt very much like a yeah, we've got all our anger out. So there's that. There's also the fact that Bournemouth just aren't very good. Mm. So we're recording this in the afternoon. Scott Parker has been sacked in a quite cutting statement from Bournemouth saying it, you know, it's now better to get someone who's all aligned. Scott Parker, after the 9-0, said he was asked, do you think this is as bad as it gets for Bournemouth? And he went, no, to be honest with you, I think we're probably, this is an accurate representation of where we are and we're probably going to have a couple more days like this, which felt painful. Honest painful, honest, yeah, honest to a fault. Felt like one of those things that um, he's right, but you probably shouldn't say that out loud. Um, 
you should probably keep that stuff in house mm. if you believe it. Mm. And I think that's been the issue for Bournemouth for a while is that Scott Parker has been very insistent and in wanting to have more bodies in and more transfers because he doesn't believe the squad's good enough to stay in the Premier League. And it feels as if, and I mean, I'm going to say it feels as if Bournemouth are quite content to yo-yo to, to do what Norwich did in, in 1920, which is just, we'll, we'll go down and then we'll, we'll ride the parachute payment. We'll, we'll be one of the strongest teams in the championship. And we'll come back up later on. Um, and Scott Parker didn't seem to want to do that. And, and that's where we are. Huh. I could also look, see him look at, is it Cooper at Forest and mm-hmm. think, bro, like they signed like 16 guys. Can I get a few? Like you can't, like there's money here. Like we, we what it don't, don't they call the, I don't, I don't, I forget who won it. I don't know if it was Bournemouth who got in by the playoff final, but they call that game the most expensive Nottingham, game in Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest, Forest won the playoff yeah, final. They, yeah. they, they beat Huddersfield. Um, but that game in particular is called the most expensive game in football because the difference in money between being in the championship and going to the to the Premier League is vast. So if you're Bournemouth, who qualify automatically, it's like, okay, like we know you have money. So if these guys can buy, and Forrest, to their credit, have bought fairly well. I don't know if you can buy that many players and it be cohesive immediately or ever. But the the idea or the statement of intent is there that we we want to do something. Bournemouth is kind of like, mm. and if if you say the quiet part out loud, you do risk what happened. Yeah, Bournemouth have played the same four teams that Crystal Palace has played, and Crystal Palace has one more point. If you look at the yeah, but they did, they did they didn't lose by nine. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't they don't their goal difference is is twelve goals worse. Uh, and I think I think this I think this is this says a lot about the relationship between Bournemouth and Scott Parker, and it, and it also yeah. provokes some very big questions as to the championship and parachute payments, right? Yeah. If Bournemouth are content to to go down right now, ride the parachute payment, spend that money to to get some of the best teams in the championship and come back up later on, what does that say about parachute payments? What does that say about the competitive nature of? The Premier League, and what does that say about Championship teams right now? Well, I mean, we you kind know, of, I there mean, is we, we had a slight that, bet. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The thing that I think I've been on this podcast before, and I said the thing that gets me all the time is that when we talk about doing a Leeds, and historically, when Leeds went down, they were, I'm um, saying, went down as in from the Premiership to the Championship in 2004, they were described as being financially silly, and the big stat went out was. Uh, it was 70% wages to turnover. And they were were going, oh my God, of course Leeds went down. You can't have 70% wages to turnover. And that was 2004. And if you look at the Premier League now, and you look at the Championship now, there are so many clubs way past 70%. There are clubs in the Championship who are 130%, 120% in that wage to turnover ratio. And it's not not just the Premier League and Championship. It's also in Spain and France. Okay, Mm -hmm. So that's all going on as well. And so there's that sort of financial chaos. There are several teams in the championship who are spending loads of money to try and get into the Premier League and they don't quite make it. And it's really, really baffling. I remember talking to Nether Manua, mm-hmm. you know, former Manchester City, former QPR, brilliant footballing mind. I'm not sure if you get him over in, in non-UK. No, he's he, he does he does ESPN FC on okay. television quite regularly. So, so I spoke to him during the January transfer window about 
you know, what are the other, other than money, what are other reasons why players will want to move? And he said something I found quite interesting. He said, well, you know, when I first started playing in the Premier League around like 2004, 2005, 2006, he said one of the big things was 100 grand a week. He said, if you bumped into someone who earned 100 grand a week in the Premier League, that was a big deal. That's a wall. That guy is different Bistol. He's different gravy. Uh, and I've also had another Premier League football player say, basically, once you earn over 100 grand a week, there's a switch that goes off in your brain and, and the world just is different. And the, the interesting thing was, obviously, he was there when City got the money. Uh, and he said, back in the day, earning 100 grand a week was a big deal. Whereas now, if you look in the Premier League, I mean, there's players at Crystal Palace who are on 100 grand a week. Mitrovic was in the championship on 100 grand a week. And there are, you know, there are teams in the championship going, how could we compete with Fulham in the championship where they've got play- where they're paying people 100 grand a week? The the level of money in in English football now is so bizarre that there are serious questions to be had about the level of competition and how sustainable this is. You see, now this is I tried to no, kind we're of not touch about on this league. point. <laughs> <laughs> like in, in our Twitter conversation about like, okay, England no, is almost a microcosm of what's happening in football in general, but the Premier yes. League just is England and everybody else is the Championship, League One, League Two, etc. So then if the Championship, League One, League Two and below had an opportunity to do something like a Super League, I think no. they'd do it. No. But 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 again, let's 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 not. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> uh, but no, nine nil, impressive. If this is kind of the kickstart that Liverpool need to get their season back on the right track, if it was ever off track, that's a way to do it. But the big again, thing about Liverpool is the big thing about mm-hmm. Liverpool is they need they need a a midfielder. midfielder or two or two. The reason one big reason why Manchester United beat them on Monday was because there was a big Fabinho shaped hole. Um, the injury to Thiago is a big issue as well. Harvey Elliott is good and Harvey Elliott will play a lot of games this season, but you probably need someone in there to play as the number six. I don't think James Milner is the answer in the year of our Lord 2022. And I also think Jordan Henderson is becoming more limited as he gets older and as the injuries begin to pile up, right? Not only just for Henderson in the midfield area, but also what Henderson does when he drops into the to the area that Trent vacates on the right-hand side. So you yeah. probably need some more legs in there. A big reason we're having this conversation is because Navi Keita has essentially failed as a Liverpool player. He, he, he's too injured. He's not secure enough in possession. And, and while he is able to conjure some magic every now and again, you need more than every now and again. Yeah. Uh, some of this was covered up by the, you know, some of this was covered up last season because Saudi Amane was, is, was and is Saudi Amane and was fantastic at dropping deep and carrying the ball. But now Mane's gone. Those weaknesses are there. I think Liverpool will be fine. I think they're going to finish second place in the Premier League. But I think the gap between Liverpool and Manchester City is going to be more than four points. Let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. So I think my over-under on Haaland's goals was 19. Uh huh. I need a reassessment as I drink my water. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with 24. I think that's that's we're that's, talking league goals or all yeah comps? yeah yeah just league all comps. So in their Champions League group, they have Sevilla, Dortmund, and Copenhagen. God help Dortmund and Copenhagen and Sevilla. It could it he could score a goal a game. He's a freak. We knew this already, but I I wanted to see it in practice. The theoretical was scary. The practical, I was like, let's just wait and see. And it does look kind of scary, but I, we predicted this. 
and we knew this from when he was was he he was at uh, Salzburg, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So we had, he, he, I think he, what we were doing. I think what we were doing. Um, and I know I was doing it. I was almost trying to will Harlan to not be as good as I knew. Reverse psychology is what we were yeah, all right? up to. Like we were, we were all talking about the injury record. We were all talking about a stylistic fit. We're like, yeah, you know, it's not a slam dunk because it felt too obvious. And then you're watching it and you're going, my god. Yeah. The one that the one that got me was the West Ham goal. The second goal was the fact that he didn't slow down to get that mm. left-footed finish away. Yeah, we, yeah, I, we talked about I, it now. We talked about it, and I just went, you're meant to slow down. But he doesn't. He, and he, he doesn't, doesn't need to. And he doesn't need to. And there's maybe, there's been a, there's a handful of players I've seen in the Premier League. And I'm 31 years of age. I've been watching the Premier League. I can remember watching Premier League games as far back as 1998. And there's, you know, there's a little patch where I don't watch, but I'd say, yeah, since 1998. <laughs> since 1998, there's a handful of football players who don't have to slow down to get that shot away uh, and Haaland's in one of them and if you of those handful of Premier League players they're all they've all gone down in history as being one of the great Premier League players so uh can I have yeah. an, can I have another example are you thinking like maybe like Bale that's uh, the thing Bale would slow down Thierry Henry would not uh and then you get into the to the bigger thing of that's can I'd say concerning I say it's concerning if you're not a Manchester if City you're not a City fan yes, yes, yes. but no, uh, it's, uh, it's it's uh, so there was this report, football, there's this recent report of how rival managers are, are trading you know they're trying to build the Jordan rules as to how to stop Haaland which <laughs> if, if you're not the basketball persuasion the Jordan rules was a set of rules the NBA came up with in the 90s as to how to stop Michael Jordan specifically um, the Detroit Pistons who were called yeah. the bad boy Pistons yeah. So this is Bill Lambeer, Dennis Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars. Yeah. And the rules were what to do if he was trying to cut to the rim from the byline, uh, what to do before he takes off. What Basically, anytime he's, he's in the air, we foul him. Yeah. Anytime he's in the air, we foul him. If he's at a certain area, we foul him this way. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, just basically ruin that man's day. And the thing about Harlan is I'm not sure you can build that. There's no because... way you can translate what 90s or late 80s, no. 90s basketball. You can't do that. If this were the the <laughs> the English first division and, and mm-hmm. you plop Haaland in there, you could get your Vinnie Jones to do the, what is the leveler in yeah, the first yeah. two minutes or, of the game? A reducer. Reducer, thank you. you leveler, you, you reducer, can, you, you know. Just you, let him know you're there. <laughs> exactly. You could get him to do that and then the, the, the referee won't even give you a booking. He'll just give you a warning like, hey, Vinny, calm down. Or Graham, calm down. But in 2022, you could make Haaland rules if Haaland was that team that wasn't Manchester City. Let me put it this way. If you drop Haaland at any of the other top six clubs, he's not this dangerous. Okay. And and that is the that is this 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 scary thing about the city side is I mean, it looked as if Palace had them. It really did. Yeah. And Palace Palace are the team that historically give City a lot of trouble. They got four points off them last season. Um, and they, this is what they, you know, they play really direct transition ball and they don't play with any fear. And, and it looked as if they had them. 2-0 up at half time. I was reading the reports um, as I was writing up my piece in St. Mary's going, hang on, here we go. And then Harland happened. And it's not just Harland happened. It's also the players that supply Harland. And you're going... Wow. Like, okay. So let's say you play Man City and you stop Kevin De Bruyne. They're still Bernardo Silva. Let's say you stop Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. There's still Jacques Cancelo behind you. Let's say you stop those players. Still full Foden. 
So he's for Foden <laughs> as well. Oh, look, Julian Al- Alvarez is going to come on as well to create extra space for Haaland. And it's just oh, that thing of... Oh, Mara's off the bench. Oops. Yeah, man. It's, he's, <laughs> Pep Guardiola has built an incredible footballing machine. I think this is why we had to do reverse psychology and thinking it can't be this obvious. They can't win the league by this many points. They can't do this. And look, the transfer window is not shut. The league is nowhere near complete. People get injured and whatnot. How do I put it? I'm already having that fearful look while I'm looking at that City team and going, I've got a horrible feeling Pep Guardiola doesn't rest Haaland tonight. And I say tonight as in Manchester City are playing. Um, it might be Forest. Yeah, Manchester City are playing Forest tonight. So by the time you, by the time listeners hear this, if, if <laughs> right, and it, this is this is supposed this is supposed to be we the might sort have of game. five. We don't know. This is supposed to <laughs> that's supposed to be the game. Pep Guardiola rest the big player. If you yeah. play FPL, this is where you get the Pep roulette where you put in Haaland, and it's a midweek game against Nottingham Forest at home. You're like, and he doesn't do it, and you go, him, oh, for God's sake, he's gonna play. You know, what if he does play him? What if he does just keep racking up these goals? Then we're in. I say we. Uh, and I, again, I'm really sorry. We, as in the not Manchester City watching Premier League community, are in trouble because they look great, don't they? Yeah. Do you know what? I made one miscalculation here. Well, several in this episode, but just in that in the Holland rules conversation, I made the assumption that the rules that one would make for Holland would be the same that Jordan got in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But they don't necessarily have to be the same level. It doesn't. There, there can't be the same level of violence, so therefore the rules won't be the same. So how would you contain him in a 2022 sense? And they have to come up with some way to do it. Like, obviously, it can't be that level of just, like, brutality. But there must be a way. But the cost to stop him must open an avenue for all the players that you mentioned. Yeah. So, so yeah, you might say Crystal Palace, they had him. But then they didn't. But then you could look back to the previous game. You might say Newcastle had them, mm-hmm. but they didn't. You can stop Haaland, but at what cost? It's the cost <laughs> of giving De Bruyne space or Morris space or Silva space or, you know, Alvarez comes on or whatever it is. So, like, it's, it's as you say, their squad is just very talented and really good and really hard to stop. It's why they're favorites to win every competition they play. Let's talk about your, your guys. So Ten Hag has two wins in a row now? Two wins in a row? What improvements you like to- are you seeing between these two games and the first two? Uh, pragmatism. Mm. You know, Ten-, Ten Hag is not playing the the high pressing possession based football that he attempted to play against Brighton and Brentford. You Manchester United are defending deeper um, with this new partnership of Alessandro Martinez and Rafael Varane. They're kicking the ball longer. They are still weak in terms of build up, and they're still quite fragile in central midfield. There are seeds of growth. You can see what he's trying to do. I, th- I think, I still think that Ten Hag is trying to turn Manchester United into the soft blueprint is is Ajax 2018-2019. So the Ajax team that reached the Champions League semi-final. So that team, they overlooked, the, what they tend to do is overload one flank, pull you all over one way and then switch it and then do pullbacks and crosses to try and get a goal. Frankie de Jong was a key part of that. Frankie Dong's not coming. But the the seeds are there. And if you look at that goal against Southampton, it was a really nice goal of just passing around the Southampton press. Alanga and Sancho are overloading the right-hand side, then freeing Dallow, and then Dallow pulls back that cross that Bruno Fernandes finishes. So encouraging signs. It was gritty. They really gritted out that 1-0. But decent things to see there. 
I talked to Ten Hag afterwards and he said, describe the team as a work in progress. And I asked him if he thinks, if he's concerned about the central midfield or, or believes the central, you know, I said, you know, do you think the central midfield is capable of playing the football you want to play? And he goes, yeah, I think so. We're a work in progress. We'll get there. I will say Southampton have some really good youngsters. It was the Carl Anker derby, wasn't it? It was the Carl Anker derby, as some describe it. The Luke Shaw derby, as, as many others describe it as well. Uh. <laughs> um, so I, I talked to both. I talked to both managers afterwards, and they both, you know, had some chats. Were very nice to me, which was quite nice. Um, one thing that strikes me with Southampton, well, one thing that was really quite cool, uh, Myra Quadri, who writes for Versus uh, and other publications, pointed out Southampton had an entirely black back five, both fullbacks, both centre backs, and their goalkeeper black players, which I thought, you know, one of those things that I didn't notice until someone said, I went, oh, we, we've, we've reached the point where thankfully we don't bat an eyelid at two black centre-backs anymore because, mm. again, I'm 31 years of age and I can very clearly remember <laughs> newspaper things saying you can't play two black centre-backs because they're not... Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, um... blah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the really you know, okay, thing... no, I, I actually caught, I did bat an eye when I saw Gineppo was it he was playing left yeah. back? Yeah, Jennifer was playing left back. He's not. I was a left like, back. is that where he's supposed to be? He was there because he has played at left wing back okay. for Southampton in the past. I was gonna. Uh, and, I was gonna ask. Uh, you. Tino Livramento, um, or formerly of your parish, is currently injured, recovering from his mm. ACL, and uh, Roman Peru is recovering from an injury as well. So the player who used to play left wing back, Gennepo, uh, in a pinch, has now in a pinch playing at left back. And he was all right okay. against Alanga, okay. which was concerning if you're Alanga, right? You, you couldn't constantly get past someone. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Okay. Alanga, but... Alanga had it rough. They really went went through. Before I... Some, I'll, I'll say this very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mohamed Salusu, uh, left centre-back for Southampton, Ghanaian... One of those players that you can see he's going to cost 60, you know, between 50 to 60 million one day. Some of that will be because he's left footed. There's a little, there was a moment when Cristiano Ronaldo came on and Salisu caught basically sprinted back 25 yards and caught him and dispossessed the ball. And I, I like, remember it was, a, it was a problem like, whoa, defenders didn't used to be able to do that to Ronaldo. That's concerning. Uh, that was the that was the oldest I've seen Cristiano Ronaldo look on the football field, oh, uh, and then man. just and then right on full time, uh, Ronaldo had a three on one counter attack. Uh, it was one of those counter attacks where you could see he had the ball, and then maybe would have passed. Well, another player might have passed and slipped in Marcus Rashford or someone else. But around the ball, and you're like, he's he's going to try and shoot here, and he kept running, he kept running, and I went, this 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 might be it. This might be a really nice closer, a Ronaldo goal, and then uh, Bella Kochap. The new Southampton centre back, he's been signed from Bochum in uh, Bundesliga two. He made a fifteen yard recovery run, grabbed him, tackled him, and I, that was a big like, hmm, mm-hmm. hmm. Belakotchap, by the way, he looks very good. Like okay. he looks proper. He looks proper. He's okay. a defender. Where I go, you're going to cost sixty million one day as well. Elanga reminds me of something, but only because of his first name, Anthony, coming in. But Brazilian Anthony for what's the do you know the fee offhand? A hundred million euros eventually. So uh, 80, 90, 90, 84 million pounds. Eighty four million pounds. I'm not gonna pretend like I've watched IX. I'm sure you have mm-hmm. in, in preparation for both Ten Hag coming and your own personal reasons. Anthony, what is your quick thirty second profile of the player? Well, if you want to know that, you can subscribe to the Athletic <laughs> for a pound a month. <laughs> 
fair enough. <laughs> the piece, I, like, I've, I've written that piece. That piece is on the athletic. You can get that. Cool. In short, in short, a hundred million euros, eighty-five million pound is overpay. That is, on that is a lot of money for a player who has not scored twenty goals in the area of the visa yet. And yeah, you know, he's a winger. And right now, but that, that's a lot of money, and I don't think he would have cost a hundred million if this deal was sorted out in July. So that's that's the big thing everyone needs to talk about. Loads of money adds pressure. You know, he becomes now the most expensive player to ever leave the Eredivisie. Boom. Really? I can understand. I can understand why it costs hundred million because Alex went. Well, we have absolutely no reason to sell this man. He's our player. He's got a very nice long contract, and there is only one team that wants him. So we're going to ask for the maximum amount of money for you. Fine. There was a very good tweet also that said Manchester United have paid more money to Ajax for Lissandra Martinez and Anthony than Ajax made in turnover last season. Again, if you want to make the quote about the Premier Super League or the Barclays Super League and the financial weight of the Premier League compared to other leagues, there you have it right there. Now, why did Manchester United want him and why did Ten Hag want him so much? First thing, he's already worked with him for a number of seasons and he wants players that he knows can play his style of football and the style of football he wants to play, the number of players he knows for sure that can play his football are limited because, and I mean this in the nicest way, I don't think Ten Hag has watched much football outside of the Dutch league. I think he he's such a tracksuit manager and obsessive. He knows what he knows. He knows the teams that he, he knows the teams he plays against and he knows the teams around him. I also think what Anthony is, is quite rare in football right now. We don't have many left-footed wingers who play on the right-hand side and that makes him quite expensive i also think he's 22 years of age you have to add a little bit on because that means if you buy him he's going to be good for a while providing he avoids injury and his injury record is pretty good he takes a couple of knocks but there's that now what sort of player is he he is a dynamic goal scoring creator so he came in to succeed hakim ziek at ix after ziek went to your parish at chelsea stop ziek- calling it that damn man you heard of my feelings bro Ziek <laughs> <laughs> was when Ziek was at Ajax. by the way, Ziek. When Ziek was reliably at, informed. When Ziek was at Ajax in the eighteen nineteen season, he was a he was helped by Muzrawi being an overlapping right back. He cut inside a lot and he shot a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> Ziek and uh, Ajax was. Uh, I I always. I don't like comparing basketball players to football players, but if there if there is a comparison, Ajax is a bit like J.R. Smith of just he's just gonna keep chucking three oh, points. Oh wow! See, he's I thought you were gonna say James Harden because of the no, lefty thing, but he's gonna give you some three pointers. Anthony comes in, and Anthony can do that, and he does love cutting inside and shooting and shooting from long range. But he does like crosses. He likes pullbacks to the penalty area, and he likes loads of whipped in crosses towards the uh, far post. He cuts inside and crosses and he can cut and he can also cross in an orthodox manner as well. Masrari becomes more of an underlapping winger when Anthony when he, when Anthony comes in because Anthony started starts a lot of his plays wider and higher up the pitch compared to Ziyech. So that's what they did at Ajax. So What's he going to do at Manchester United? Yeah. He's going to be the right-sided attacking player. You don't spend 100 million euros on a player without him playing in his best position. So if he's going to play on the right-hand side, that means Jaden Sancho will most likely go from the right to the left-hand side, which then means Marcus Rashford can either stake his claim to be a number nine 
or will be a bench option on the left-hand side, or indeed will be a bench option up front behind Cristiano Ronaldo and or behind Anthony Martial and Martial recovers from his Achilles injury. So that's your attack for a bit. So Chelsea went down to 10 men and they looked better. Once they (laughs) took off Gallagher and Mount, I don't know what to make of these informations. I was hoping to have a discussion with Half Hope about how he feels. And I know how he feels. and I know exactly what he would say. I'm not him, so I, I won't speak for him. But you guys can guess what he would say if you removed Gallagher and Mount and Chelsea looked better. But with you, I'd rather talk about Sterling because you, you made a point when he signed that we should. And when I say we, you know what I mean by we. We have to protect Sterling. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was looking a little bit sketchy there for the first, I don't know, three games or so. People were like, ah, he's not scoring goals, not this, not that. But two goals, 10 men, probably could have had three. I just want him to be happy. I know that's a non-answer, but I, I, I just want him to be happy, man. And I think it was quite interesting, the interview he gave last week, maybe week before, where he described his the side. on camera? Leaving. Yeah, where he described yeah. what leaving City was like for him. And I was quite surprised at how unhappy he was at City in those final months. I was like, oh, damn, you you really want to play football. You are, He's not content to sit on the bench. He wants to be a consistent starter and, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the guy at a football team. And at this Chelsea team right now, that is still really, really confused in how they want to attack. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad Sterling yeah. got those goals. He needed that, and he'll give some. He'll give some control. Uh, I will wheel it back into to Gallagher. That midfield pivot of Conor Gallagher and Jorginho <laughs> does not work. It does not work. Does not work. Does not work. Does not work. I understand Chelsea are playing it almost by default because Kovacic is only just coming back from injury, and yeah, Angola Kante is injured. But Gallagher is not a great passer or dribbler. And he's not great at defensive work. He is about third man runs and late entries into the box. Jorginho is a passing metronome. You need someone good at passing and dribbling to work in that central midfield. I don't understand. I understand to a point why Ruben Loftus-Cheek is playing at right wing back because he comes inside and inverts. And that gives you a numerical advantage in certain scenarios. But it's not a numerical advantage when the man who's meant to be playing central midfield is not good at being a central midfielder in that sort of system. Mm-hmm. So, look, I have not won a Champions League. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to suggest I know more than than Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel has forgotten more about football management than I will ever know. What? But <laughs> I love when people say that. It's like but yeah, I, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. But. Uh, but I, I but I humbly suggest he moves Loftus cheek in the middle next to Jorginho and plays a player who can play out wide out wide. You know what? Play Gallagher as a wing back. No, no, n- nobody like, wants to play wing back. Okay, it's like the worst position to play because it's probably the most. It's not even probably. It's the one where you expend the most energy. So if you have somebody who's just out there running around anyway, who's not giving you anything in the middle of the park, put him wide. You're no, putting Loftus cheek out there, running... that, and that's not his natural place to play. So if somebody bring, has to play in an unnatural position, this is I'd rather have Loftus-Cheek in his best position. And confusing thing about Chelsea is they've just hit a critical mass of talent. They've got so many players who can do a, can do a decent job for a top six team. I'm not saying all these guys should be starters on a top six team. I'm just saying there's loads of players on there that if you are 
not Chelsea or in the top six, you could look at them and go, ooh, they'd be all right at my club. And there's so many of them. And you're just like, some of these players, you've just got to let go for their own good. You know, Kalimantanadoy has just gone on loan to, to they buy released another They Ross Barkley yesterday. They've released Ross Barkley. I was surprised that Ross Barkley, like, I was surprised that, I'm happy they actually again. did that and like let him. I mean, there's only two days in the window, I guess, where he can sign. Maybe yeah. you get an extension as a free agent, maybe he has a yeah. week. But yeah. yeah, they should have done that way sooner rather than taking him on preseason to America <laughs> and all that stuff. It's just like, just if, if you're so going to do that, players. at least be nice and give him some months to find so a guy. Like, so it's the thing of, I mean, why, do you bring, why did you bring Conor Gallagher back to Chelsea if you're not going to play to Conor Gallagher's strengths? Well, it's because. Gallagher, in an ideal sense, shouldn't be playing these games. But because of the injury crisis, he's being pigeon pigeonholed. That's not the right way. Shoehorned. He's being yeah. shoehorned into positions that he shouldn't. But because he's the closest thing to it, that's where he is. So I think Tuchel came out today and said Gallagher's the closest player to Conte. If that's true, and I can kind of see what he's thinking there, which is, again, the amount of energy that he has. He has to play in the double pivot. And then you put Loftus-Cheek on the wing because it worked well against Spurs. For, for me, at least for my own purposes, and this is my opinion on the game, I thought it was very interesting, or at least it was perfect okay. irony. All right. That, okay. Hold on. Let, let, let me let me Because let me, let me, I'm, I'm going somewhere else with it. Gallagher's two yellow cards in that mm-hmm. game, I don't know if you watched it, but his two yellow cards were his fault for being too ambitious and eager to win the ball. They were both... It, it, it was the exact same action, just twice. Different context for the same action. And he was just very eager to win the ball. And in his eagerness to win the ball, he fouled and got a yellow card. Two. Red card, obviously. But the reason that Chelsea fans want him in the team, or mm-hmm. are happy to have him in the team, or want players like him in the team, is because they want this passion, desire, effort, energy, run till it hurts, run till you bleed, that that is what Chelsea fans desire from their players. So I thought it was just, again, perfect irony that, that those yellow cards came from the exact same thing that you want in midfielders. They don't want, a, not they, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of people, again, when I mm-hmm. say people, I mean the timeline, and Chelsea mm-hmm. fans in particular, would rather see Conor Gallagher playing or Mason Mount playing than Kovacic because Conor Gallagher is from the academy He's from the country. They have an mm-hmm. affinity towards that style of play rather than Kovacic, who might be, yeah, he's from Croatia. He's, he's not one of ours in that sense, in, in air mm-hmm. quotes. Mm-hmm. But the style of midfielder is exactly what you need in the team, and you need more of those. Nobody, I think, <laughs> on either side of this kind of Chelsea divide, as it were, has an issue with Reese James because Reese James is just class. <laughs> but... When you get lower into these kind of academy players uh, in a relative sense, because as you say, there's so many clubs that would take Gallagher off Chelsea because you can see there's a player there if used in the in the correct way. But Tuchel did kind of set him up to fail by putting him with Jorginho. But then you you just look at Gallagher and you think, and especially when James is right there showing you the levels of what academy talent can be. Like you're, there's something there, but I don't know if it's what's required for right here, for, for here right now. That, that was my takeaway from Gallagher in particular. I, I've got a challenge for you. Everyone's fit. You're playing Leicester City in a reverse tie. I want a, I want an 11 and I want Conor Gallagher in it. Mendy in goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, half hoping I need to have a discussion about Mendy. Um, Reese James right back. 
Right back, so you're is, playing a four. Yeah, yeah, four, four. I'm the manager, Carl. This is 4-3-3. Okay. Um, okay. My left-sided center back is going to be Koulibaly. My right-sided center back is going to be Thiago Silva. My left back is going to be Kukurea. We'll, we'll give it to uh-huh. him. Base of the midfield. Okay. Base of the midfield. Oh, Gallagher has to be in it. <laughs> you, have, you have to play Conor Gallagher. Ba- okay, the, the base of my midfield is N'Golo Kante. Because uh-huh. in the in, in the season, I'm making him do the Makalele role. I've already decided this. So I'm the manager. So this has already been happening. So I'm not just throwing him into yeah, sure, to, sure. To the number Keep six. He's, he's been there for a while. So he knows what he's up to by, at this point. Gallagher is one of the number eights. And I would put Lester, you said? Mm-hmm. Ruben Loftus cheek. I'll put Sterling on the left. On the right, I think I'd put Pulisic. Okay. And through the middle, Kai Havertz, unfortunately. All right. So, I mean, I don't know if we'd win the game, but that's. Doesn't that's what this I do. question, and the reason I asked you this was, was because one, I wanted to know where does Conor Gallagher play? Uh, and two, the fact that it feels as if Conor Gallagher's Chelsea career rests a lot on the fitness of Ingolo Kante. Well, and that I mean, he has one year left on his deal, so I don't. I well, rests on the rests on Conor Gallagher's Chelsea career. Let's say, let's make it specific. Conor Gallagher's success, his ceiling of success, or the floor of his success this season rests on how many games can he play next to Ingolo Kante? Because Ingolo Kante will do X amount of the defensive work for him mm. in 2022. That's a big risk for a young player to have. In 2015, 2016, I mean. You know, we know it works because Danny Drinkwater shows it works. Is there any universe mm-hmm. where all of the Chelsea players are fit and you have to play Gallagher? Is there any universe where you can do that without playing Gola Kante? If you played him as a number 10 in a 4 2 3 1, mm-hmm. you, you could play okay. Jorginho and Kovacic as your two midfielders behind him and maybe get away with it. Okay. And nice. he could play number 10, but I don't think you would want him there. Out of all the options, but again, you're making me play him. So, right. like that, like that number ten could be taken by Ruben. It could be taken by Mason Mount. It could be taken by Havertz if you get a striker. Like that would be the ideal if you went out and you got a number nine and Havertz is playing ten secondary striker kind of deal. Do you think Harry Kane is going to get the two sixty one? I'm curious your projection of his career, in like breaking Alan Shearer's record. Yeah. I don't think he will. I think he's going to get close. I was looking at it, and I was thinking, like, it's doable if he stays oh. in the Premier League, which I think he will. I think he'll eventually get a move somewhere that's really good, better than Spurs historically or contemporarily, whether it be City, United, blah, blah, blah. Firstly, Shearer's record is nuts. First, he played for a long time, scored a bunch of goals, mm-hmm. and there's, I think, 20 to 30 goals that would have counted, but they're not Premier League goals, their yep, first division, division goals. So if yep. you added those, he'd have like 280-something. Kane doesn't have to worry about that. Kane would also say, you played in an era where there were 42 Premier League games instead of 38. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe he could have a, a slight argument there. But I was thinking, like, he could actually pull this off. I wondered what Carl's projection of how many goals Kane could get. I don't think he's going to break the record. I think he's going to come close, and I really want to see him try. I, I, I want I want the scenario where Harry Kane stays in the Premier League for long enough, and I want the scenario where he's fit enough for as many games as possible so he can try and break that record. Because, yeah, I, I think I think that's fun. 
I also just, <laughs> I also just really enjoy you know the closer he gets here to it, the more we just appreciate Alan Shearer. This was the other thing. He was scoring these goals. I know Newcastle were they were better than they were like for the past 10 years or whatever, but scored a lot of goals for Newcastle. Obviously, Blackburn had money, even won the league, but it's he wasn't doing it for the superpower teams. And Kane is kind of in the similar boat, I would say, where he's not playing for a superpower. They haven't he's been just great. playing for he's just These playing for a really good been. team. They haven't been great so far, and yet their record's been very good in the league. Spurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Son looks like he's in a low period of form, relatively. He was he was annoyed form. when he got subbed off. He he's not been he's not started this season. But he's well. always kind of annoyed to be taken off. I like seeing yeah. that in a player, yeah. to be fair. Like I don't want you to be happy to come off, especially if you're a forward player, you haven't scored. Like I want you to be slightly annoyed. I don't want it to like be a problem in the dressing room. But I like I like if I take you off and you're pissed off, it's like that's like good. Like use that for the next time. Score. This now leads us to a topic that we said we weren't going to spend too much time on. Spurs are winning the game. It's obvious that they're going to beat Forest. Mm-hmm. Richarlison, the the ball comes to him. He flicks the ball up, does a couple of dribbles, keepy uppies rather than dribbles, passes it, and the Forest players take him out because he was showboating. Dr. King had a speech that was called The Other America. And yes. in and in the speech, he basically showed how this is how white people live and this is how black people have to live in America. And it's basically like you're not even aware of what this other America has to go through. So let me break it down for you. It's one of his better speeches. I think he did it at Stanford 1967. You guys can look it up. It's it's videotaped. But this those dribbles or keepy uppies, and this happens all the time, so it's not mm-hmm. relative to Richarlison, but when these events happen, it shows the other, I don't know what it would be, but like the other perspective in mm-hmm. like in, in a footballing community, Twitter even, journalistic, whatever it is. There's like an, there's a, there's an other side. The other side appreciates footballing skill, be, even being disrespectful to a point. Like I like seeing players be disrespectful and but but I am in the other, mm-hmm. the other America, as it were. Like I'm not in talk sport America, mm-hmm. if, if I can extrapolate this metaphor. So I'm curious, which America are you in? Are you in America or are you in the other America? When you see Richarlison do these types of things, because, I'm with you. Okay, I'm with you. I, I said this to my friend Greg Johnson earlier today. There is nothing about this scenario that won't make, that won't make me go. That's really funny. Richarlison juggling the ball. That's really funny to me. Richarlison getting clattered afterwards for annoying annoying Forest defender. That's really funny. People saying it's disgraceful. That's really funny. Richarlison <laughs> saying cry more to Jamie Carragher. That's really funny. That's funny. People getting people getting annoyed at other people getting annoyed about Richarlison juggling the ball. That's really funny to me. This is a very hilarious, quite boring subject for me. I can't believe it. I, I'm not saying we as in this podcast, but we as in the wider football community. I cannot believe how many hours and words have been wasted talking about Richarlison juggling the ball for a couple of seconds. Now, um, now this is and I said this to I said this to my friend yeah. Nick English, who is French actually, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and. We basically. I almost said, spit on my laptop. He said, "He said we're, we're we're doing this because this is the this is the perfect sort of sports conversation in that the barrier to entry is incredibly low, 
and also you have you can have an opinion on it without actually knowing anything about football and it's very hard to change that opinion about it right it's just what you feel and now, you can argue Carl, about that forever and ever, the, and ever. The, the last time i played football mm-hmm. was it was years ago at this point because i'm not like going to the place where it actually happens will require interacting with people and wearing masks and different things so we're not going to the sports complex but last time i played football there was a kid I don't know how old he might have been. He might have been like 15, 16, 17. He was, he was pretty good. And he, like, his team were winning the game. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they put me in outfield. I like trying to, I, I like being the goalkeeper because I'm pretty good yep. with my hands. I'm pretty tall. But for whatever reason, I was playing midfield, tired as hell. Shouldn't be out there playing midfield, but I was playing midfield. He does a couple keep you up. He's in the middle of the game. And I look at him and I laugh and he smirks back to me. Because we both recognize in that moment, like, bro, we're just here to have fun. Yep. But I feel like there are some people who, like, would ext- like, bro, they're winning the game. Yeah, obviously, it's it's pickup. Like, nobody's really being that serious. It's not a professional environment. But some people would be like, what the fuck? Like, how are you going to do that? You guys are winning. You're just you're taking the piss out of me, basically. But my laugh just totally diffused him or whatever anger that there could have been. It totally diffused the situation. Because I'm like, I appreciate you disrespected me almost. Cause I like seeing that. I like seeing that. Like, there's there's a kid here who's like balling. America in that way needs more of this. I we need more people in the other America, basically, who are appreciative yeah, yeah. of it. Whether it's funny, it, it, it is and... disrespectful, but I don't think it's intended to be disrespectful. I think some, I somebody, don't care. So, why does it matter? R- Rashalison is having his own fun. Is, why is are you it? annoyed by his fun? Why is why does it matter? And I think it, and it was police. It's- he he really annoys a lot of football fans. Uh, there's, it's because there's he's tweet- trying to prove he's resilient. Also, there's there's, a tweet there that are goes these around. anti-Richarlison allegations. Where is he resilient? Really, and he does this like last season when he was with Everton. He, I think, I think he juggled the ball with his head while he was running, and people were pissed. Yep. You're taking the pit. And even Frank Lampard even said like I, he might need to chill. He, the Fra- Frank Lampard did the patented jokey joke but serious thing mm-hmm. with that it's in his nature which is why i kind of allow it it's just like he wants to have his fun why are you so annoyed by somebody having fun oh it's because disrespectful it's I think, it's did he I'll break the rules i'll be honest with you i think a lot ha. of people are annoyed at someone having fun because i don't know if people don't have fun this is the deeper conversation or it's, 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 way, it's, you know, like, it's you not know. even about Richarlison, really yeah. It's, it's about it's, uh, your interpretation of what football should be yes. or how or how it should be played that annoys me. And yes. it's indicative of why England aren't I, I what's who's who's the guy that, that you mentioned at the beginning? He writes for verses. You, that dude. He says something about he, he had a whole thread because he was he was annoyed. And, I, and I, I replied to him, I said something to the effect of like, you would think that English people would look at Brazilians in particular and think maybe we should take something from their culture <laughs> because England have won one major tournament in the last, what, in, in forever. Actually, I was going to try to put a date on it, but forever. They won one. It was at home. Africa boycotted. That's all you got. Brazil, meanwhile, have fun. And they have how many Copa Americas? How many World Cups? Like maybe you could learn something from these guys. But and even the players that have sauce in England, they're kind of relegated to being like 
ancillary at best. Somebody like Joe Cole, who would watch Brazil tapes and who Pele was fond of all these. Ideally, and Half Hope and I have always shared this opinion, like build the team around Joe Cole. It would be more fun, at least. I mean, if you're going to lose or just be disappointing, at least be fun to watch. But no, Joe Cole was an ancillary piece. Like, we're going to give it to, you know, Lampard, Gerard. We're going to run that into the ground. English football culture is, it's regressive <laughs> to, but again, I'm in the other America. To other people, this makes sense because it's how we play. But to me, it's like, you shouldn't want to play like that. You should want to be able to have skill. One reason why I like Jurgen Klopp, not just as a manager, but also as a person, mm-hmm. is because he, and also to a lesser degree, Pep Guardiola also reinforces, this is a child's game. This is a game for children, right? This is, I, I'm, yeah, this is a multi-billion dollar corporation and, and <laughs> this sport pays my rent and why I can keep the lights on. Yes. But this is a child's game. This is a game that is so popular because a child can play it it's and the barrier to entry is so low. It's not that deep. It's never. Ever. I, I, football, football is great because it can show you stuff that is deep and it is a lens to view the deep stuff in the world. But football is not that deep. A guy doing <laughs> ki- a guy doing kickups in a, in a keepy-uppy thing is not that deep. And the fact, and here's the thing, the fact that he immediately got clattered afterwards <laughs> shows you how the market will regulate itself, right? You but, 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 but Carl, even that regulation, I yep. find annoying. What? Because again, like like I said, I would see Richarlison do that as a defender, and I would laugh. But in in in, in their professional context, it's not I, laughter. This is some serious disrespectful. Someone does that to me in a football game. I'm gonna laugh if that same play then not makes me. I'm gonna go foul him. Ooh, because that's what I do. And and if I fouled him, I'd immediately laugh and say sorry. But I'm not like that. I'm not. You see, I'm not. I don't personalize it. I, I would I would personalize the nutmeg, but my bad. Not not you doing it to me. That's what you're supposed to do to me. Yeah. But well, me, but I, that that would make me put my head down and I'd run with my tail between my legs essentially. But I'm not gonna run and foul you. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. just like damn, he got it. me. But that that's that's my that's my version of pageantry, yes. right? Yes. You're having fun with your pageantry because you're doing your keep up. my form of pageantry is whoop. Well, you've you're the superhero here. I'm the villain, so I'm gonna do villainous things, mm. and that's that. Like this is this is meant to be fun. And yes. at any point, it, this is the big thing. I'm just trying to in my life just get to a point where I'm not letting my weekends get ruined by my sports team losing. I'm <laughs> not trying to get into a tailspin when my football team does something bad. I just want to stay at a certain level. Uh, and just the fact that so many people have spoken about this massively insignificant thing. <laughs> it's funny, man. It's funny. Anyway. Yes. Okay. So last last topic. Delhi Ali is in Turkey now. Or sorry, Delhi is in Turkey now. I've had a theory ever since he decided to do this. And this started with Memphis, actually. And this is ever so lightly related to you, just based off country alone. So Memphis was going by Memphis for a mm-hmm. long time. And when, when he was at Manchester United, if you look at his Instagram, his Twitter, it mm-hmm. was just Memphis. It wasn't Memphis Depay. It was Memphis. He's still then, going by Memphis. Then, then he took a trip to Ghana. Mm-hmm. And this is where you're ever so slightly touched. He took a trip to Ghana and he was taking pictures with the people. You know, he's in the, the kente cloth and, you know, he's like, he's doing the stuff that you're supposed to do when you go to Ghana, I suppose. You tell me. 
And it looks as if he's having like a cultural moment. I don't know if it was his first time going home, mm-hmm. as it were. But then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but like it's it's a, it's the logical conclusion of what happens when you do that. On his Instagram, on his Twitter, it wasn't just Memphis. It was Memphis Depay. As if going home almost brought him back to reality. Like, just because I have a bad relationship with my father or my mother, whoever the Depay was in the family. Father. I'm, I'm tied to this place, and it's deeper than just my dad. So then he put Depay back. And whether you believe in spirit, spectrals, whatever, we're leaving Pogba. That's another discussion. We need more information on that. That just reminds yeah, me. Yeah, we'll let that wait for you. <laughs> next week um, on the next episode of Talking Tactics. He started playing better once he started putting Depay. Now, I think on the back of his shirt, it was still Memphis. Yes, but, and, but, and it was same Memphis for good but, reason. But once he started playing or put, once once Depay came back on Instagram and Twitter, he started playing well again, went to Lyon, started playing better. I looked at Deli Alley. Now, Deli oh, Alley. Brother. brother. Now, now, let me roll, let me roll. The goal he scored against Crystal Palace. Uh-huh. What was the name on the back of his shirt? Alley. The moment he started going to Delhi, I have a suspicion that the ancestors don't rock with that. No, 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 no. That no, that, no. that 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 if you disrespect your surname, no, for what no, no. for whatever reason, their their blessings and protection are removed from your life, and you're Next. out there on your own. You know the African proverb: the child who doesn't feel. Uh, well, how does it go? It's, it sounds like the child who is left in the cold will burn down the village to feel its warmth. That yes. kind of deal. I've noticed a devolving pattern since you started going by Delhi, my guy. I'm just okay. saying. <clears throat> I have read Memphis Depay's autobiography. So let's talk about Memphis Depay's family history quickly. So Memphis Depay's dad, Ghanaian, immigrant to the Netherlands, worked in a waffle factory, meets Memphis's mother. They have a quite intense love affair. Uh, and then he leaves as Memphis is quite young. Memphis then spends... A lot of his time being uh, being raised by his parents uh, in an area of the Netherlands, and Memphis's mother falls. Basically, Memphis's mother starts looking after the ne- the kids from next door, and the kids from next door they are not as well off as Memphis, even though Memphis is growing up with a single mum, uh, and those kids have quite a violent background. So Memphis's mom looks after those children, babysits those children, and then falls in love with the father of those children. And they all move in together in the same house. The stepdad hates Memphis, verbally abusive to this to Memphis, while the other siblings are also physically and verbally abusive to Memphis as he's growing up. And oh, wait he a minute. is in a oh, wait a minute. Wait, is the stepdad a white dude? Yeah. Okay. And this is all going <laughs> on. Memphis is for reasons that and if you can pick up his book and he's saying he doesn't blame his mother, but he, he spends quite a bit of his childhood going, well, why isn't my mom stepping in when I'm getting pelters growing up? Mm-hmm. Um, Memphis adores his mother. When Memphis wins awards and goes to war shows, he takes his mother as his date over, say, the person he's dating. They've got a lovely relationship. Memphis is, by his own admission, Memphis, is, Memphis views his granddad, his mom's dad, as the man who helped raise him and Gave him mm-hmm. some amazing things uh, and there. And Grandad passed away and whatnot. In terms of Memphis, the football player, and why he didn't kick on at Manchester United and whatnot, again, if you want to look at Memphis's Instagram page, when Wayne Rooney retired, he said, I, I really apologize. I couldn't bring more of myself to the pitch when you were here. 
Um, and there's obviously this, this statement where Rain Rooney and Michael Carrick tried looking after Memphis and Rooney asked Memphis to keep a low profile when he played a reserve game when he'd been dropped. And Memphis turned up in a quarter million Rolls Royce and was wearing really big fashionable clothes. And there were loads of times where Rain Rooney would tell Memphis to, to calm it down a little bit. And Memphis was responding, why would I calm it down? Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't calm it down. And Rooney, who played with Ronaldo, went, yeah, but Ronaldo was a gym rat. To which Memphis replied, well, so am I. And Memphis is a gym rat. He, he's been doing, he does a hundred. he got too big. He's been doing a hundred stomach crunches every day since the age of 14 because he read Ronaldo did it. And because he thought if he had a six pack, he'd get better endorsement deals. This is Memphis. <laughs> he's, this is Memphis. Even when he's quite truthful, he's quite funny, even if he doesn't know. And yes, Memphis did go to the motherland and there's a whole section of that in his book. And he went to Ghana. And the reason why Memphis celebrates with his fingers in his ears is because he donates a lot to, I always feel bad when I use the word orphanage, but a school in Ghana that looks after blind and deaf children. Oh, wow. And he's learned, and he's learned sign language a lot. And he believes, he, so the celebration of the things in the years is I'm deaf to the noise. I'm deaf to the critics and whatnot. But it's it's a, you know, a little thing he picked up after a dance that some of the school children did in Ghana for him. And one of them did that. And he's like, oh, that's really cool. And that's his like signature back home for that. Memphis's relationship with his dad and men in his life is very difficult and we talk and as far as i know i still don't think he has much of a relation with his dad from ghana i think that the pie and the fact he's used the pie in some circumstances but not in terms of on his shirt has more to do with his relationship back with ghana uh, and good for him now bami delhi ali or <laughs> delhi ali his relationship with his family is much different. And I don't want to put those two together. So Delhi Ali, Delhi barely knows his dad. His dad leaves when he's very, very young. His mum, you know, being raised by a single mum in a council state in Milton Keynes and his mum has uh, not the best time looking after Delhi. There's there's question, you know, absolute love in that household. But sometimes she's having a really hard time looking after Delhi. Delhi is being, spends a lot of time at his friend's house. Uh, and if you look at, those seasons where he's really good, his first season at Spurs where he scores 10 goals, that great season where he scores 18 goals and whatnot. He's celebrating these games and he's going to his friend's parents because he, again, you know, in the same way, not in the same way, he regards them as people who help show him love and understanding. And in 2017, when he signed that massive contract at Tottenham with a six-year contract, his agent at the time was his best mate. And it was like, why is Delhi's making his best mate his agent? It's like, well, actually, that person is closer to is as close to him as a brother, uh, and he wants to keep doing things in house. And when he came out and went, I'd much prefer it if you refer to me as Delhi rather than Delhi Ali. That again is a response to his relationship or lack of relationship with his dad. Um, there's a fantastic piece from Jonathan Liu on the Guardian right now. You can check out about you know you can't really say Delhi Ali's wasted his career or didn't do anything in his legacy where if you look at Delhi's life and his childhood he's a success he could have so easily not been a professional footballer he could have so easily not been anything really and the fact that yeah okay 26 years of age he's playing in Turkey so what he's played in Champions League final he's, he was one of the best players on the age of 21 he's there was a there was a shining moment a couple of years where he was one of the best young players in Europe 
And then we can get into things about tactically speaking. Tactically speaking, again, a bit like Conor Gallagher. He wasn't, he's not a great passer. He's not a great dribbler. He needs to work in a very unique system. And that system hasn't really been there since Pochettino left on Hotspur. Mm-hmm. We can get into what Jose Mourinho said and what Frank Lampard has said about him, his attitude in training, which I think you probably can't ignore. Mourinho said he's a lazy trainer. Frank Lampard says he needs to focus. I think there's something in there about Delhi and how he's approaching to training. I don't think it's laziness as in he's late for training. I think his laziness is in terms of the application and the intensity of the passes. I think he'll do all the drills. I just don't think he he doesn't, he, you know, he trains at 60% and then plays at 100 and as he got older, as he got more injuries, and as fo- as the football teams around him changed, I think he became a passenger in top teams. A top team can't have a player that is good at the things you're good at and bad, at and you're you know, and has the weaknesses you you have. So you either improve quickly or you end up falling lower in the football pyramid. But other than that, I'm I really want Delhi to to be happy, and if he needs to be in Turkey, and that's the best form, that's the best place for him, then so be it. Uh, no, I like I hope he does well, but you've taken like a slightly facetious point on me and you've turned it into like an actual serious one. So credit to you. But I would just There you I, go. I know a little about a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You know a little about a lot, which is like a talent. Like if 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 I was going on Jeopardy, I would want you with me. Does Jeopardy translate? Like, do you know what the, what that show is? I know is? what Jeopardy is. I Have, we don't if, if, hear it if, in the United Kingdom. If you've seen White Men Can't Jump, it's the show that Rosie yeah. Perez wants to go on because she just knows a bunch of information. So like, but yeah. I think it's really interesting that there are a number of younger players now. The child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down. I, I don't think it's more. embraced That's by the, the village because I think it's these, you know, Delhi and Memphis have very unique Quite heartbreaking family no, situations. I was, I, I was using it as uh, I know. I, I, I know. was using Memphis I as know. an example of what what I think was going on by not Should acknowledging your last name. And then I looked at Delhi Ali and I was like, hmm, maybe I'm establishing a pattern. But no. then, but then I think like the more I think about it, I'm like, okay, like there's a bunch of Brazilians who just go by one name. But like it's it's the intention of the reason. It's like I don't know. I don't have a good relationship with my father. So I'm going to remove my surname, which is more than just my father. It's my whole family. And I'm like, perhaps on some spiritual level, there's there's an issue there. Maybe I'm not the one to say that because I'm not the most spiritual person. But I do feel like there's something to it. I just can't put my finger on it. It would be like if if I removed like my, like even down here, like I have my name, Daniel. I should probably put the last name just to make sure. <laughs> I think. I think. Yeah. I'm probably not spiritual, but I think about it a lot. Should be how we begin next week's episode where we talk about Paul Pogba. <laughs> because on, that on, one, on. that one is, that Spec- one's going to take a while to talk about. Yeah. That one is more heartbreaking than the hilarious. <laughs> and that one is going to take a while to get there. Listen, Carl, all, all I'm saying is if I ever go on The Athletic and I see not Carl Anka, but just Carl. Your journalism career is not long for this world because there's something about the surname that you just can't give up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> this, 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 an article written by Carl. Like, Carl who? Like, what is his family? Like, what, who's your tribe? Where are you from? Like, there's something to that. I can't put my finger on it. I'm just saying. Names, names are important. 
but but your your breakdown of Memphis and Delhi Alley's on an individual personal level, I think that's important to understand why they do it and how that informs where their career has gone and and how it's played out. And again, all all the best to you know Delhi Alley and Turkey. So we can get out of here. Talking Tech this podcast. We thank you guys for listening. You can follow me at Daniel to look. Carl, where can people find you? I'm writing on the Athletic. Uh, I should plug some articles. There's an article in there about what Anthony offers Manchester United that you can check out. I've also done a podcast with Mike Chapman and Jack Pitbrook all about Delhi and Delhi's career, why it didn't quite work out at Tottenham Hotspur and Everton and whatnot. So that's in the podcast feed as well. If you've got Spotify wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, I'm also a member of the Talk of the Devils podcast. So if you're a Manchester United fan, I just did a podcast there, recapping Southampton, looking at the transfer window and what happens next. If you're on, if you like YouTube, you can go on the Athletic UK's YouTube and there's a video podcast where mm-hmm. talking loads about Manchester United, that's broken up to loads of parts as well. Um, I'm going to be somewhere in the country on Thursday because it's transfer deadline day. So I'm sure I'll, I'll be talking to you again soon. On assignment? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Cool. We should have, I'll probably be back next week so we can have a good chat about the deadline. Yeah, transfer sure. window or not. I mean, we still don't even talk about the Champions League or Europa League draw. So we'll do that at some point <laughs> in the week as well. Anyway, yeah. all right. have fun. Yes, Half Hope can be found at halfhopefootballhut.com. You guys go check that out. Check us on Patreon, by the way. Um, all those good things. So yeah, Talking Tactics Podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. But always football. Later Indeed. Peace, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.